Hey, I'm Spencer Friarwood, head coach of the Belgian national team. You're listening to the Dropback Podcast. The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Dropback Podcast, bringing you all the talking points from the NFL and Brit Bowl with all the regularity of a Vikings missed field goal or a Jets loss. I'm your host this week, Matt, <laughs> and with the NFL Pro Bowl voting well underway, I'm joined as ever by our star-studded lineup of all pro football oracles. Representing the rainy north, we have got Mr. Samuel Lewis. How's it going, Sam? Nice, pretty clear skies up here. That's a lie. And from the equally <laughs> rainy south, we are joined by the enigmatic talking head that is Joe Costanzo. How's it going, Joe? I feel extra enigmatic today, I must say. Well, that bodes well. And of course, our resident giant, Stan Wilson. How's it going, Stan? Yeah, the weather's very fine up here. Thank you very much. Well, you're all, you've, you've <laughs> yeah, all he's said above that the to make me look bad, and I don't appreciate it. But I am excited to be back talking football with you guys, and we have a lot to get through this week. As you will have heard from our intro, we are super lucky to have the fantastic head coach of the Belgian national team, Spencer Ferrari Wood, join us with a, for a great interview with Slu and Joe. So keep your ears peeled, I guess, for that later on in the show. Um, as well as that, we have um, Steelers-Bills talk, who may or may not have been given too much or too little respect. Uh, we'll also be revisiting the Monday night thriller between the Ravens and Browns. Game pick scores, the upcoming dropback game of the week, of course, and some strange sort of mystery bet that Joe has requested five minutes for. We're not quite sure what's going to happen with that, but it's interesting. Yeah, I don't like that. He's come in here like, lads, I've got a bet for you guys. Now, I'm not telling you what. I'll tell you later. It will be revealed at the end of the show. Yeah, don't worry. We have checked that it is, in fact, football related. Yeah, so that could be fun later on. But first, let's wander over to Philly, where one man with a silly name mate took the job of another man with an equally silly name and uh led the eagles to a surprise win over the saints mate your middle names are john connor who are you calling silly name (laughs) i think my name's quite cool um jalen hurts enjoyed a pretty stellar first start for the philadelphia eagles um so let's try and get through this chat and this entire segment without any poor name puns do you want to kick things off slew how happy were you with jalen hurts's performance yeah, I mean, it's hard to be unhappy going into New Orleans and coming out with the win. So, I mean, from the, the basics of it, yeah, absolutely delighted. It's a win against one of the better teams in the NFL. Can't complain there. Obviously, he wasn't perfect. I don't think anyone's expecting him to be perfect in that. But the point is, I think the key difference in this is the pl- the playbook was very simplified for him. But he was also, he was much more decisive with the ball than Wentz has been. I think that's been the biggest issue we've had. So he made a decision, wasn't necessarily the best one, maybe not always the most accurate, but he knew where he was going. He was either quick to take off or quick to throw the ball away. And I think that's one of the things we've been missing this year. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Doug Peterson, he simplified the playbook, as you said, there are a lot of bootlegs giving him the security outside the pocket where he's not going to have pressure on his face permanently. 
allowing him to read the field more clearly and also just giving him the ability to take off and use his mobility, which is one of his attributes as a quarterback. It was a, you say reading, it wasn't actually, a lot of the time it just looked like he's, right, this is your yeah. guy. You throw it there or you take off. So it was yeah, really bare true. bones for him. Yeah, and as you said, going, coming into New Orleans, well, just yeah, playing against the Saints and coming out with a win, it's just, it's, it's amazing considering the fact that he was a second round pick who was previously described as, as just a complete waste of a pick, essentially. Mm. I I saw it as, you know, it's a rookie making their first game at the end of the day. This is the first actual starting game time he's got, the first time he's been able to get the full reps with the starters during practice. And I was pretty impressed. Um, I think he looked good. He looked raw, but but quite good. Like Slew said, he was getting, getting a lot of those sort of one optional go uh, routes coming in, and he went when he had to. Uh, I think... Once again, just reiterating what Sam said at the start, I think he nailed it by saying he just looked a lot more confident to throw the ball. He didn't look shell-shocked like Carson Wentz has looked over the last few weeks. Um, His mechanics weren't... (laughs) His legs weren't doing the splits when he was throwing it, which was obviously a good sign. Um, And I think there were a lot of situations in that game where Wentz would have maybe held the ball a bit too long um, and I think Jalen Hurts is a different runner in a lot of ways. He, I mean, Wentz is still mobile, but Jalen Hurts is, is a legitimate threat running I the ball. I think the difference there is that Wentz, like he's athletic, but Jalen Hurts is an athlete, and I think that's where the difference is. Like Wentz, no, I... can, Wentz can move around when he needs to. Hurts can create big plays on the ground. Yeah, but Wentz kind of moves around, moves in the pocket, moves out of the pocket, and, and looks for a guy downfield to play uh, like hero ball a bit but um, whereas Hertz has the ability to sort of alright the option isn't there I'm going to run and I'm just going to run because I can run and he's, he's good enough to do that the option was there with Hertz being on the field to run like quarterback read options and more quarterback powers as well so we're seeing a lot more of actual designed QB runs which again contributed to his 100 plus yard debut start which is very very impressive for me Miles Sanders also played a key role in that game yeah oh he was just, amazing he was amazing he is amazing we just don't feed in the ball in the second half of games yeah but yeah he's, he's outstanding <laughs> yeah it, the issue though it has shone a spotlight on the incompatibility somewhat between Doug and Wentz because the issue is that either Doug can call a great game plan when Wentz isn't there because he's trying to simplify it or, I don't know or help out his backup Either that or he's calling a similar game plan and Wentz just tries to overcomplicate it. Joe mentioned hero ball before, but there's some there's definitely a disconnect there. And mm. I don't know if it's Doug unable to work with Wentz or Wentz trying to perform above the system, which clearly all it we've seen here, if you perform your job in this offense, you're gonna it's gonna have a decent performance. So that mm. is a bit confusing as something that's gonna have to be sorted out this off season. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about the narrative that this is now Jalen Hurts' team? Because I've seen a lot of that over social media. No, I've got, I've got to agree with you there. I mean, he's played one good game, and we've all seen when mobile quarterbacks play their first start, they pile up a lot of yards. He hasn't shown me that he can win games with his arm yet, and maybe I'm judging him too early. But until he does that, it's going to be hard to say. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, his ball placement was a bit wacky as soon as he went beyond twenty yards, pushing the ball downfield. His placement was off. He missed a wide open Jalen Rager. He well, he nearly that was made... on the crosser. What the yeah, deep was crosser, a... wasn't it? Yeah, on the, on the deep crosser. Um, there was the Alshon Jeffrey. The, the touchdown. We're not sure whether the, we were talking about this before the podcast. I originally thought it was a deliberate underthrow 
to put it in a place where only Alshon Jeffrey can get it, but it might just look like it was just a lucky mistake, really, because yeah. he was absolutely nailed in the pocket when he was taking that shot. What do you reckon the um, the Eagles do with Wentz's contract then? I don't know what you do here. Because you're kind of screwed either way. You it's can't a... cut him and you can't trade him. You can't definitely can't cut him. I mean, you either have to trade him and bite the bullet. Or, or restructure. Could restructure, but I don't know why he would do that. Maybe he, he'd agree to stay in Philly with a restructuring. It's difficult to tell. I mean, they're in a tight bind anyway with the whole cap scenario maybe dropping down to 175. So, look, honestly, it's a whole mess just financially and really without even bringing into the fact that th- this highly paid quarterback isn't performing anywhere near the level that's acceptable. So I think realistically, the good thing is they don't have to make a decision yet. They've got the end of the season. They've got the offseason to see if maybe Wentz plays better with the preseason because realistically, he's going to have to be on the roster next year anyway, just financially. So... I, yeah, there's no yeah. rush to make that decision unless they're sitting on the board and somehow I don't know what happens if Fields is there. Do they feel the need to take him? But then they just took no, a second round with Hurts. So there's, there's no way you can do that. Hey, mate, they're a QB factory. <laughs> oh, that was a, I remember that quote pre, post-draft. From, uh, yeah, oh my God. That was outrageous. But um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to circle back a little bit to, and you, you guys all sort of mentioned it with uh, the game plan and the play calling. I thought it was very interesting that they stripped it back and it was a lot more effective than the sort of more complicated version of the offense that they run around Wentz. And I don't know what that particularly says about Doug Peterson. And, and you know, have they tried to install something in Philly and sort of gotten away from the basics of what made them a really good football team and tried to sort of overcomplicate it slightly and it's, got, and it's lost its way? I think it's interesting the fact that they bring... Jalen Hurts in and are like, okay, he's a rookie quarterback. We need to sort of scale things back a little bit, and it's wildly more effective. You just don't have any tape on Jalen Hurts in an NFL QB. Mm. That, that's a bit. That's a big factor in this. We yeah, as Slu said, these mobile QBs when they come in, they make have their first few games. They're normally wildly effective because when the play broke down for Jalen Hurts, he was literally just able to escape the pocket and run downfield. He was able to do that a lot of the time because they were coming out in like five wide empty sets where there would be. They, would, they wouldn't be able to put a spy on him. They wouldn't be able to have a full quarterback contain on him because they're only like rushing three or four guys. So he effective, essentially, at the end of the day, he was able just to rush downfield untouched quite a bit. That was really poor game planning from the Saints, though, because yeah. Yeah. even watching this game, the, the Eagles receivers were not getting open consistently. They were bad. They were so, really they're bad. Re- so it's not like they play better with Hurts in now. So that's still an area that needs improving in the offseason, regardless who's under centre. It seems like every year. Yeah, the Saints know coming into that game that Hurts isn't going to beat them with the arms. I don't know why they didn't stack the box or yeah. put the contain, have a spy, and say, go on, win one-on-one matchups, do it. Yeah, that was really interesting. That was really interesting that um, they they almost seemed unprepared to, and I, and I know, as you mentioned, Stan, there's, you don't have a lot of film on Jalen Hurts, so you, to an extent, you don't know what to expect, but also... Like to be, to, to be, they, they almost seemed like the, the Saints were expecting just to play the normal Eagles under Carson Wentz. You've got two years from him at high profile schools. It's not yeah, like he's true. been under a rock somewhere. You, so you know vaguely what to expect from him. I don't know, but it's the fact that he's playing a completely different, different offense, isn't he? He's playing in a different, in a diff, for a different head coach, for different, in a different offense, in a highest quality of. Mm. of league essentially so mm. I'm not saying that you don't have any film I'm saying you don't have any film of him in this offense and how you don't know how Philly are going to use him but the, yeah. but the point is that even that film shows that he's not 
the most accurate passer at this point. I don't understand how they thought he was going to improve that much without having played yeah. live games at a higher level. I think that was yeah, that... that's a re- unrealistic assumption for them to have made. Yeah, that's true. Especially with the Eagles O-line, I think they could have gotten away with a lot of zero coverage blitzes in that game and found a lot of success that way. And I think as well, like a rookie quarterback, there is that we've spoken about loads that that gap between the windows in the NFL and the, and the windows in college, right? So why would you not at least early in the game mm. show them those those zero those cover zero uh, blitz packages and and put the pressure on them? And then you know if they are, if they're able to make the difficult throws, then you you know you take that and and maybe you make some adjustments, but it seemed like a waste opportunity to not go after him a little bit, I guess. Yeah, especially with how dominant the Saints um, D-line has been this season. Yeah, but they haven't been a necessarily blitz-heavy blitz team. I think their D-line's been very good, but I don't think changing the game plan to suddenly blitz a lot more than they they should is is necessarily uh, much more than they already do. Is... I know, I'm not sure I agree with that. Surely the whole point of having a game plan is that you change it for each game. Yeah, but it might not just play into their, their strengths as much as... Mm. I, I guess I was I was surprised to not see more, I guess, more spies on um, on Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that is one thing. Yeah, especially we got like a mobile Mike linebacker like Quan Alexander, who could easily probably contain him and keep him under wraps. Yeah. I think one thing looking back at as well, when the Eagles were very good, they had a very strong... When they won the Super Bowl, they had a very strong rushing attack with JHI and LeGarrette Blunt and... Going back to how well Miles Sanders did in that game, I think if they add elements where Hertz is given an opportunity to run and can kind of act as that running back, almost like what you see out of a Ravens team with Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. I'm not comparing the two in rushing ability, but I'm saying if he adds that element, then that might be leading back to some of that success we saw in previous years as well. It's something that Slew mentioned they often get away from in the second half of games, and I'd like to see Miles Sanders get a lot more attention. For sure. Alrighty then, let's circle back to the Steelers and Bills tussle. This was a game that we obviously spotlighted as the dropback game of the week last week. Um, and it certainly didn't disappoint. Josh Allen and co condemned the Steelers to their second straight loss. And now Pittsburgh's unbeaten start to the season feels as old and outdated as Juju's whole dancing on the opposition thing, which is getting seriously tedious. That's um, fine. He's a grown man. He used to grow up a bit. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Like it was fun at the time, but come on, Juju. Come on. I've got no issue with it. Bit yeah, fun. You like spying people. So let's get straight into this thing, guys. What did we think of this game? What are our main takeaways? I mean, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs absolutely torched the Steelers. Diggs mm. is arguably playing the best out of any receiver in the NFL right now. Mm, I mean, he's just insane. Though we've talked about it before how both those the Vikings and the Bills have come off incredibly well from that trade, but this Bills team, it feels like the first time, I know we mentioned it a few weeks ago, but it feels like the first time they've actually beaten a fellow competitor. Whatever you think yeah. of the Steelers, they're 11 and two, and they're 11 and two for a reason. So to win this and to win it pretty convincingly as well is a huge statement win for the Bills, I thought. Yeah, I, I would say on the other hand side of things, a lot of people were saying Steelers are the. Uh, the true number one AFC seed when they were obviously undefeated. And I, I don't really think that that is really the case. If you look at the other teams in the AFC in terms of how well they're actually playing and compared to their schedules going into the season, obviously we talked about the schedules, the Ravens having such an easy schedule by nature. That means that the Steelers also had one of the, the most favorable schedules in, in the league. Um, 
and I think they've won too many close games, really. Uh, like, like I said, they, they won a lot of close games and played down to their competition throughout the years mm. uh, and throughout this season as well. Chiefs have done a similar thing as well, and no one doubts them as competitors. That's because the Chiefs' offense is very high octane, whereas mm. the the Pitts the Steelers are naturally a defensive team, and in particular, defensive line team. Uh, their defensive line has been amazing this year, but um, you know Joe Hayden's been playing very well, and Minka Fitzpatrick have been playing very well. But I wouldn't say that, that their secondary is one of the best in the league, and what that's what we saw. Mike Hilton too. It's, don't forget him. Mike Hilton. They're very good. Yeah, he's, he's, that's true. They're good, but they're not quite. Carling. I'm saying it's it's mostly the defensive line play which brings the Steelers' defense up again. I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think they've got. I think they do have a good secondary, but yeah, they just don't have that. I'm not saying they have a bad. They are. They are on their third middle linebacker though now. To be yeah. fair, at this point. So yeah, That's Bush true. got injured. Spillane got injured. Who's their Who's their mid- Mike now? Mate, you're testing our depth chart knowledge of the Steelers' I, linebackers. I, I, I don't even have Madden this year. It's a strong year to ask me rough well someone without the caliber of those two players for sure yeah i I thought it was i i again i've sort of come away from this one not being enamored with the steelers offense um and we've mentioned this a few times in previous weeks uh it did result in in possibly my favorite tweet so far this season in which somebody said that big ben plays football like he's just eaten a thanksgiving dinner and has been asked to go outside and, and chuck a ball around with the kids um accurate just that sort of lackadaisical um, half arseness that that's that he that he sort of gives. Um, I think it's more the more of a fat joke than anything, <laughs> and a fat joke, of course. Um, no, he lost a lot of weight in the off season. He's still Big Ben. <laughs> he's a big boy. I mean, I, I don't. Their their offense just needs a new dimension to it. It can't just be five yard pass after five yard pass, running back followed by a up. followed by a wide receiver screen. It's just it's very much yeah. stuck in the mud right now. They need a quicker running back because James Connor and Benny Snow. I said this. Speed. I told you James Connor was like watching him in slow motion. I'm, I'm not. He does, I'm not, he does tend to break tackles though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying the, the way I justified it last week is that he does the job when he needs to hmm. in terms of short yarded situations. I don't think he's a top back who's going to win you games on his own. He's like a he's a complimentary guy. He's not quick enough, and he doesn't have the agility. Like you look at guys like Clyde edwards He yeah, he's not quick, but he has the agility, the ability to fit through tight gaps. And he has the dimension in the passing game too. Whereas with Connor, I feel like you need someone to compliment him. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be tough. Especially as Snell isn't that fast either. Yeah, he's sort of that mould of like short-yarded bruiser. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and we've seen traditionally you need to complement that with a with a with a, a speed guy, right? Otherwise, there, there's no danger of the big play from James Connor. I'm not worried about James Connor ripping off a, a run to the outside and no one's going to catch him. Yeah, he needs to fill up mm-hmm. Lindsay. Mm. There are a lot of running backs like that, though, and that isn't necessarily their game. That's not a bad thing. But what we're seeing more and more in the league is just those two or maybe even three running back systems where they do have that sort of switch of pace. Yeah, yeah most of those big running backs haven't been absolutely debilitated by injuries as well. That so. is a fair point. That is a fair point. James Conner has been through a lot um, health-wise, and it's you know it's commendable the the effort he, and the. Um, level he's been able to play to um but you know he's never going to be that speed guy and until they find someone to compliment him and bounce that offense out i think they're going to continue to struggle um i think the sort of the the biggest question coming out of this game for me was 
have we been either giving the Bills too little respect or have we been giving the Steelers too much respect? Like, where do you think this leaves both these teams now? I think Josh Allen is... He had a lot of... He had, obviously, he started off the season in incredible MVP form. He sort of dipped down towards the middle. And to have a rebound game like this against the Pittsburgh Steelers' defence, I think it is just it's amazing the fact he's been able to do that. And in terms of the Steelers... I still think they're one of the best teams in the league. But, yeah, as you said, Slew, their offensive, like, just five-yard quick passes isn't really going to cause massive sparks in the playoffs. That They rely heavily on the defence. And if the defence comes up against a high-powered offence like the Bills, they may struggle. Mm. I'd double down on what Stan said there. I think it's hard to... I don't think it's fair to say we've overrated the Steelers when even when they were undefeated, people were like, ah, they're not that good anyway. So I think arguably people are still underrating them because they've lost two games now. People are like, oh, I told you they're not very good. They're going to get blown out first week of the playoffs. I just they're think they're blown a out. pretty good team. They're not going to get blown out. Like People love to overreact to stuff. They need to figure out a new way to run the ball other than just jet sweeps, though, because teams have started keying in on those. Yeah, They play actions off jet sweeps. They don't run play action. Big Ben doesn't like it. <laughs> is that is that yeah. what happens then? If Genuinely, ben doesn't watch, like it. Doesn't go, go back to go. No, honestly, watch the Steelers tape. Count not on one hand how many times they run play action. Fair enough. I'll have to go back and do that. He's just saving it for the playoffs, mate. <laughs> Where this going to be all play action? All play action all the time. No. Um. One thing I, I would say is that yeah, a lot of people were doubting the Steelers, but a lot of people were also genuinely saying. The Steelers are the number one team in the AFC, and I, I like I said, I, I don't, I didn't abide by that. I, can't, I think you can't look past the Chiefs at all. You can't look past the Chiefs. Their secondary is better than they were last year. Their offense is arguably better last year. Yeah. they're going to win the Super Bowl again this year. Yeah. So, but on on note of the Steelers, I would say we we there are definitely some people out there, not necessarily us, who definitely had their eggs in the wrong basket there per se. Um, I, I do think, like, I don't think they'll get blown out by any means in the playoffs, but I do think they are at risk of being one of those teams that might be, have a good, impressive regular season and, and lose the first round of the playoffs. Like, like the Ravens. Experience that. They've, they've got too many veteran presences on that team. I know but, really, well, if your offense can't young. score points and it doesn't matter, that's that's what we're, we're saying at the end of the day. Like the, the Steelers' offense hasn't been anything special the whole the whole year. They've had standout players like Chase. Claypool. They've been effective. They've been effective in some games. Like they've just been clinical, decisive, and they've just done the job. But yeah, they, but they've, they've also never been, been very been like average a in a lot of games, and one because of that defense. Yeah, but there's other teams with, with that some have teams been that made a great uh, the one because of their offense and been very average if poor on defense. It works exactly, both exactly. ways. Yeah, yeah, it does. Like the Chiefs. But- yeah, the but Chiefs I would defense say that... has been a lot better this year, though, in terms of being it's terms been of scoring all right. defense. It's been all exactly right. that's better than it was last year. I think they were better down the stretch last year than they are right now. The Chiefs' offense is also arguably better this year, but we'll we'll get into that later on. The Chiefs are better than they were last year, therefore yeah. they're going to win another Super Bowl. Uh, the Steelers, I think, are a lot. Just to final off that point, is just that I think that a lot of people had very high too high hopes for what the Steelers actually are as a team and, and they either had really ridiculously sky high hopes or just thought they were mm. oh they were overrated they're yeah, trash that's but fair but very they've overreacted way too much to this the Steelers are an above average probably yeah well it's still probably one of the top five teams in the NFL let's move on and talk some more AFC North um, you love and it and 
a bit of a, <laughs> Joe certainly loves it, a bit of a thriller on Monday night between the Ravens and the Browns. I mean, this one became an instant classic. But the, you know, both teams traded blows to the tune of 89 combined points before Lamar returned from suspect cramps to uh, drop the Browns with a little help from Justin Tucker. Yeah, this game's going to be known as the poo game or something down the line, isn't it? It'll be an, it'll be an NFL fe films feature, the turd game in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be part of um, Lamar Jackson's A Football Life when he retires and gets oh, that yeah. feature film oh, made yeah. of him. Just like the flu game, the poo yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I mean, do you want to kick this one off, Joey? I'm sure you're pretty excited about it. Oh, yeah, it. I, I straight yeah. up think this game was game of the year. I think... Was it 45-42, the final score? That is just ridiculous. I don't think anyone... 47, they got a safety at the end, which apparently covered the spread. Nice. Ooh. One for all you betting fans out there. Um, so, I like, I always think that the Ravens and the Browns' relationship as a team is that they're kind of like our little brother. Everything from the history of us basically taking their franchise, winning a Super Bowl, and then them reanimating their friend we're, we're kind of related in a way weird, weird brotherhood when you steal their body and they have to reanimate themselves but you do right. you mate yeah Sounds like a black mirror episode have you heard of twins <laughs> um so yeah I, I think both defenses played very subpar to be honest um we both had the same issue the ravens and the browns both couldn't stop the run they allowed themselves and then basically got into a situation where they bit on very uh, bet on every play action to the point where they would just get their linebackers were both getting completely beaten um, by tight ends and receivers coming over the middle. I think, and there is a lot of hype, um, social media eyes on Lamar's performance, people saying it was an MVP-like return to MVP form. I, I think when he, you know, it was kind of vintage Lamar in what we did see last year. In when he got out of the pocket, he just looked un unstoppable. And his ability in the red zone to get to run the ball into the end zone very efficiently. He was the he led the Ravens in rushing that night. Obviously, uh, two touchdowns rushing, I believe, on the day, and quite a bit in the air. Um, and yeah, we just did really well. We both both teams did really well running the ball. Both teams did very well on play action. It was a map. It was a shootout. Very entertaining game. And obviously, he came back from uh, what was it? Dropping a Brown to beat the Browns. So, <laughs> Trace McSorley got in for a few. Few the goat got in for a few uh, throws. I think three. Hey, we love to see it. Three throws. He almost got a three and out. And then Lamar dropped a juice. Came back on fourth down. Chucked it long time to Marquise Brown. Oh, beautiful stuff. Honestly, I mean, I, I think it was a great game. <laughs> There's, there's nothing more to say about it. I think I've... All right, so I mean, we're moving on then if there's nothing more to say. Joe covered it all. <laughs> nothing more to say. Is that... well, thank you. For... End of segment. Thanks for that, Joe. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's interesting as well um, where this leaves the Browns because I was I was quite yeah. high on the Browns over the last couple of weeks. I still am. Yeah, I don't think this hasn't affected how I look at them. Really? Other teams don't have Lamar Jackson running the ball. That doesn't It doesn't concern me. Yeah. The... True, but maybe on, on a wider scale, the lack of their inability to stop that run and defend in, in play-action situations, I think is something that is an issue they're going to need to correct, especially you're in the same you know, division as Lamar. You're going to see him twice a year. He's not the only mobile QB in the league. That's something that they've got, they're going to have to correct, I think. We said this at the start of the season, though, when we're doing our preseason breakdowns. We spoke about 
the Browns, even on paper, they looked like a team who weren't going to be able to stop the run in terms of their linebacking core. Yeah. Just in general, they weren't going to be able to do it. And it, when you come up against Greg Roman's offense, with which is perhaps the best rushing attack in the league, in terms of how many ways they can hit, they can hit you, essentially, then they were never going to succeed on that front. Sorry, am I just hearing some Kyle Shanahan slander? What's going on now? <laughs> Whoa. What's going on, Stan? What? They also got rid of their best tackler in Joe Shobe, can I just say. And yeah. that has really paid. Like, he was their leading tackler for, for many years and then went, obviously, to the Giants, I believe, and is playing very well at the Giants now as well. But uh, Pretty what, sure it's what, at the Jags. Yeah, Shobe yeah, was the Jags. Jags or Giants. for the Jags. No, it's Jags. It's, it's Jags. Completely different franchises. <laughs> also, uh, anyway. terrible tackling by Andrew Sendejo on the goal line. Just yeah, like, that was I think that was one of the worst tackles I've seen in a long while. Yeah. I mean, he had him dead to rights and just decided to sort of, oh, I'll leave my hands to my side and just sort of hit him with my shoulder. That'll do it. Just try and. And then I think the is it is it Dobbins it. that just sort of bounced off him into the end zone. Yeah, I think it was Edwards. Oh, I can't remember. They both had good days though. So yeah, it was, it was it certainly wasn't a day for good fundamental defense. I think in the tackling oh, department, in the coverage department, um, and in the as we said, in the uh, the play calling department as well. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the play calling department on offense for both teams was, was fairly similar, <laughs> to mm. be honest. Uh, we, like I said, we we're both getting beat from the same thing. Just Nick Chubb is just amazing, though. Nick, Nick Chubb is amazing. Is, uh, 100%. So he's just a bowling ball that is impossible to tackle. It looks he's like people genuinely accrue a lot of pain in just attempting to tackle him. I must admit, I wasn't particularly high. I mean, I was still high on Nick Chubb. I wasn't as sold on him as I think a lot of people, and especially you guys were, in terms of I wasn't sure if he was an elite back. But, I mean... He's, a, he's just outstanding. He is, he is an elite back. I must elite. eat my words on that one. He is. Yeah, for sure. And they've got another amazing back in Cream Hunt as well there as well. So yeah, two RB1s. Hmm. Kind of ridiculous. Yeah, the Browns will be fine, I think. If they can work out and, and address this offseason, that run defence, then, you know, I think that they will be legit next season. But at the moment, that's still, I think, a glaring hole for them. Yeah, I've heard some people compare the Browns before this week's game to the Tennessee Titans of last year in that a, a sort of run-heavy team who might... They're basically the same offence. But... On defense, they're just not the same team. Tennessee defense last year were a lot better than the Browns defense this year. I mean, they're in a good place. Kevin Stefanski clearly is a great coach for them. He's, oh, yeah. Stefanski's done a great job. Getting the best out of Baker there. So, especially going forward, I'm quite positive on the Browns. I don't think, obviously, this year's their year, but if they can keep their key pieces in place, their offensive line has improved hugely. And Drawing if you look defense. at the weapons that Baker's actually been throwing to on the outside, the best one is Jarvis Landry, who... I mean, all due respect to Matt, is not the most explosive The talent. goats. So what, the others yeah, are Rashad, Hi- Rashad Higgins and Donovan, P- Donovan Peoples-Jones. Donovan not Peoples-Jones. Exactly, not Peoples-Jones proven talent. So yeah, they're decent players, but this is Baker making the most of the talents around him and Stefanski as well. So, yeah. I mean, I, it's quite a positive outlook for the Browns. Yeah, I'd agree. Right then, well, let's rewind to earlier on Monday evening when... Sam and a considerably calmer Joe sat down to talk to our very special guest this week, Spencer Ferrari Wood.
Sam and Joe here, and we're joined by Belgian Barbarians national team head coach, Spencer Ferrari-Wood. How are you doing, Spencer? Yeah, hey, Joe. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, doing good. Um, excited to talk ball for a little bit. Thanks for having me on. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And talking ball straight away, let's talk about your experience as a player, because it's not a lot of the time here in the UK, especially, that we get someone with such a vast playing experience being involved in our sport. Yeah, yeah. So just to give, maybe give kind of a, a brief synopsis of kind of how I ended up in Belgium. That's a normal thing. People wonder as an American, how do I end up in Brussels? Um, well, long story short, I, I played college football in the States. Um, and after playing college, I was able to come over and play as an import player in 2014 in Poland. I had no idea that American football existed in Europe. Uh, never thought it would take me to a place like Poland. Um, but I had a really cool experience there, played for a bit, um, played one season as a quarterback. Unfortunately, I had some injuries. I couldn't play anymore after that. Um, but I always wanted to be a coach, so I turned to coaching. Um, so I went and coached uh, a season in Austria. I coached a year of college football back in California uh, where I played. And then I uh, became the offense coordinator for a team, the GFL, the Munich Cowboys in Germany. And since 2017, I've been the head coach of the national team here in Belgium. And does, does your offensive scheme, is that similar to what you play? Do you like to make it up a bit? How, how do you like your teams to play? Well, I think schematically, it's, it's always got to go back to your players. I think it's a bit old school and traditional uh, and doesn't fit in, you know, the modern football game of like, I'm a wing T guy and this is what I do. Or I'm an air red guy. This is what we do. Um, I think you always have to tailor it to the guys that you have. Um, you know, so for example, I mean, if I, if I got a, a blazing wide out who can catch and, and run like really, really good, I don't want to just be a power run team. I got to find a way to get that guy the ball. Um, so I think it, it depends on, you know, the kind of guys we have, but most of the places I've been, uh, it's a variation of the spread, which is a very broad term, but yeah, I think it's, um, it really stresses the defense when you have to make them def you know, defend the, the entire field horizontally and vertically. So spread them out get the guys in space and let them be athletes. That, that's what I like to do. Is that partially just because of the practice hours you get here compared to when you're obviously you're in college or high school in America? Yeah, that's true. I think, man, simple is better. Less is more because um, especially, you know, the national team here for us, it, it's different because when I was in the GFL, for example, and we, we would practice three or four times a week. We have film sessions. We have, you know, two and a half hour practices two or three times a week. And we have game days. And we can, we can in, like input a lot of things. And we have a 14-game regular season, which is the longest in Europe. Mm, wow. um, and so it was really a, a grind in terms of it's a long season. You can implement a lot of new stuff. You can really develop a philosophy and a scheme. The national team, you know, we play two or three games a year. And that's played in three months. You know, so it's not like a year-round thing. It's a three-month intense grind. And just like most people in Europe, uh, when they're involved with American football, you know, all of our players and coaches, I mean, we, we have full-time day jobs. We have a wife or a kids or we study full-time or whatever. So we have to kind of work it around other, you know, priorities. And so we practice only on weekends. And so we have full weekend training camps. Um, and when you have to structure it that way, uh, I, I think what you said, Sam is, is right. I mean, it's simple is better because the way I look at it is if I try to in, implement a lot of new stuff in a scheme and we get into a game, you know, our guys can be thinking a lot. And if you're thinking, you're not playing fast. And I want our guys playing fast. So 
Um, I think execution of simple things is better than having a really crazy philosophy and a lot of tweaks and nuances if we're thinking and not going full speed, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think simple is better, and I think a spread is spread offense is a pretty pretty simple one. Just out, out of interest from what you were saying about um, compared to the GFL team where you have like that three-month span with the national team, what are the training camps like going into those three months? How intensive are they and, and what type of time span are we looking at there? Yeah, it's intense. I mean, it's because, you know, like I said, it's it's nine months of the year, more or less, where we're not with the players because how it is here in Belgium, for example, um, like in most European countries, they play the club season. So that will run from spring to summer. So let's say March to July. And we take the national team right after the club season ends. So it's hard on the players because honestly, they, they're playing football from February to November, maybe, uh, where I don't coach a club team. I only coach the national team. So I kind of just coach for three months um, out of the year instead of longer. Um, but yeah, so a normal training camp weekend, uh, I would say it's, it's two a days, Saturday and Sunday. Um, we'll usually kind of do film in between. So maybe like a morning session, we'll keep them for lunch do some film install and then go back uh, in the afternoon, do some more practice. And then we'll do the same thing again on Sunday. So it's a lot of field time. It's um, it's pretty intense, but it kind of has to be because there's not really another way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those challenges getting everyone to a certain base because presumably all your players are spread all over the country. That's true, but Belgium, we're lucky. And I have to remind my players this because the year before I got here, um, Belgium played Russia and I cannot imagine <laughs> coordinating a training camp in Russia with guys from all over. Yeah, uh, I was I thinking think, Germany. Uh, I didn't even think about Russia. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think most of the players were from like Moscow or St. Petersburg. They weren't from like the Far East or something. But but still, I mean, even if you look at Italy, that's quite long uh, top to bottom. I mean, we have it easy. And it's it's so funny because some of our players that are from, um, you know, up on the North Coast compared to the ones that are near Luxembourg in the South, they're like, oh, we got to travel two hours to practice. And I'm like, man, that is the furthest you ever have to travel. And most countries would like give anything to only travel two hours for a training camp. So, so I think actually being a very small country geographically is really good for us. I think it's, mm. it's a competitive advantage and I hope that we can take advantage of that. Something you never think about really, isn't it? Um, like yeah, well, in. yeah, especially, you know, for me coming from the United States, it's quite large. So, uh, you know, coming here, it was kind of like, oh, Belgium's so small. And then I'm like, wait, that's actually really great logistically. <laughs> Uh, because when you just look at it from like an operation standpoint, it's like, oh, well, I'm thankful because we can meet in Brussels right in the middle of the country and everyone is with an hour and a half away. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously pros and cons to every country, but uh, I'm thankful that we're pretty, um, pretty small. Are you surprised at the number of players involved? Because like you said, you're a small country, but you're still able to run a fully functioning national team. You're able to go to these great places. It, you already said how it wasn't what you expected when you came over from Poland. Is your experience in the um, Europe, has that changed your view of American football sort of like globally? Yeah. I mean, like I said, when I came to Poland, I, I had no idea American football really was a thing in Europe. I'm still getting used to calling it American football because yeah. to me that's strange. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, when I come over in 2014, the level of play that I was, you know, surrounded by in Poland um, wasn't great. And I think even that league now has gotten quite strong. Um in fact, one of the top teams in Europe, the Wrocław Panthers, they're from Poland. And I mean, that's top level team. Um, so it's it's cool to, to see that the game has improved since I've been here. Not, not, I mean, not that I've had a lot of, you know, hand in that development, but it but it's cool to 
to witness it and, and be involved with it and see it, you know, from when I got here six years ago. And it's cool to see that it's progressed and gotten better. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of Europeans, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think UK is maybe a bit more American football crazed than Poland maybe necessarily. But um, I think Americans in general uh, or America in general still kind of viewed as this exotic, you know, dreamlike fantasy land. Uh, I remember when I went to Poland, something that surprised me, um, I got asked the same questions all the time. Number one, uh, it's all three questions. Number one is, why aren't you fat? Because we think <laughs> Americans are fat people. <laughs> um, number two, have you been to Hollywood? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I've been to Hollywood, but that's a question I got often. Um, and then they would ask me about like certain fast food places like McDonald's, like are the McDonald's everywhere in the States? And I'm like, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't know. I mean, to be uh, fair, but, they're everywhere here as well now. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, the, the McDonald's are nicer in Europe now. I think that's something people don't realize. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but it's, it's been funny because I think Polish people and people in Europe in general, I think, are fascinated by America and American football. And I remember I would go and speak in schools and it was like I was a superstar. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really just kind of an average player, to be honest, where I'm from. Uh, it's cool. You guys think this is amazing. Um, so I think it's, that's kind of helped the game evolve and grow because people want to be involved with something that's, you know, American, um, you know, not to say that it's any better than anywhere else, but I think, you know, when an American is speaking about American football somewhere, people want to listen. And I think that's really helped the game evolve uh, all over the place here. Yeah. I think part of that is just the spectacle of the American football. If you turn it on on the TV, it's, it's more than a sport it's a whole show. And then if you compare it to Sunday league, well, football or soccer, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. Oh, man, if I had a dime for every conversation I've had about this, about the, the pace of play with American football, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's just, it's so stop and go and it's slow. Oh God, and I'm like, yeah. that's because you don't understand it yet. Um, once you get it, you know, it's, it's, it's unlike anything else in the world. And I don't want to get down a, a rabbit trail for that. But, but yeah, I think it is, it's more intense than a lot of Europeans are used to, um, except for maybe rugby. I mean, I know it's, uh, it's not the same sport, which a lot of people might think that it is, um, but it's more physical and intense, you know, like rugby than it is like soccer, for example. I think um, one of the biggest things I found personally, just as someone who played rugby before to a decent level and then transitioned to American football is just American football is so much more intense for a short period of time. Like it's only really 10 seconds where you have to go all out, you know, get between the tackles, go through the line in my case. Um, and then whereas rugby, it's sort of that long slog. There are periods where you can, you know, take it a bit slower, sort of follow where the play's going. And whereas the, the stop and start nature of American football, I think what's appealing for a lot of um, British and European fans is, is that short intensity of it. Like, like they say, like a, every hit is basically like a car crash. Um, there's something about that. I think that kind of, like Slew said, is uh, very sort of captivating for people who turn it on for the first time, like we found when we turned on Channel 4 and just saw these people flying at each other. Yeah. Well, I, I think humans in general are drawn to things that are that are excellent. And this is not me saying American football is excellent, but what I'm getting at is like, you know, in American football, the average player is 4.7 is seconds. So less than five seconds is the average play in American football. And if you know that, if you have a 40 second play clock, that means you have, you know, over 30 seconds of, you know, you're catching your breath, you're not playing. 
And so when you actually watch the, the, the gameplay, that four, five seconds, you were seeing every player give their absolute best every single time. Exactly. Because in soccer or rugby, I would imagine, you know, guys get tired, it's continuous, it's constant running. And it's, it's rare that you really see their physical best all the time because humans aren't possible to give their best for 90 minutes straight, you know, in soccer, for example. But American football, you go full out, it's intense, you, you give your best and then you catch your breath and you do it over and over and over again. I think people like seeing that, that side of the physical game that's like every single play that you watch in football you know, you're seeing people that are able to give everything they have. And I think that's unique to, to American football. Absolutely. I think the other thing that sort of drives American football forward is the X's and O's side of it is that we don't actually have to get into the specifics, but that is something that I know I personally drew me in and always gets you researching more. Is that, is it that or the physical side you found sort of tougher to coach here? Uh, in Europe, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Again, going back to, I think, my time in Poland when I first came over here, um, you know, there, there's a lot of players here that have great physical abilities. Maybe they grew up a handball player, which was the case in Poland a lot, or a basketball player, a great soccer player, a great rugby player. So sometimes you're dealing with, like, these physical specimens that are great athletes, but I, I'm like, okay, this is cover two, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Hey, go run a slant route, and they're like, a, a what? You know, so you're, you're having to deal with like a 27-year-old grown man who's an incredible athlete and you're walking him through how to run a slant route. Where in the States, like everyone knows that. Even my grandmother knows what a slant route is, you know? So it's like, you know, it's, it's just different. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think over here you're trying to implement and develop the X's and O's for sure because um, that part of the game has a long way to go, I think. Um, but I think also because American football is constantly evolving, um, there's a great book uh, written by a, a famous high school coach in the States called Dub Maddox. And the book he wrote was, it's called Adapt or Die. And the whole thing is like, football is changing. It's ever changing. It's always evolving. And if you don't adapt to it, you're going to fade away. I mean, that's, that's why you, you don't see, you know, these um, triple option wing T teams as much anymore. They're still out there, obviously, but um, the game evolves and it changes. And if you don't adapt to it, you know, you're, you're going to fall out and fall away. Um, so to answer your question. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you, you want to coach the physical side and the X's and O's and develop it from that standpoint. But I think the more I've coached, the more I've been drawn to the X's and O's side or the, um, excuse me, the mental side of things more mm -hmm. than the X's and O's because, um, you know, I want to get too far into it. But I mean, I think if you look at elite sport, if you look at uh, the premier league, for example, or mm -hmm. any kind of, um, you know, high level league anywhere, the, the thing that separates the good players from the great players is that is like the mindset, right? I know it's a very cliche thing to say, but if you look at like, this will show my ignorance. I don't know uh, soccer that well, but if you look at like Manchester United, just for example, we'll every pretend single, we're 10 years in the past, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. This is a very American yeah, perspective. Um, but, but if you look at any team in the Premier League, every single player on that team, they're incredible athletes. They wouldn't be at that level if they weren't. Um, doesn't mean they're all, you know, incredible with the mindset. You know, they don't have maybe the mental toughness or grit, but that's not what they got them there. What got them there is probably they're incredibly gifted with the ball or incredibly gifted scorers or defenders or they can leap out of the gym, whatever it is. And so I think the thing that separates the elite level, the really good, adequate players from the 
truly great ones is the mindset. And I think that's, that's really interesting to me, obviously being kind of at an amateur level in American football in Europe, I don't get to deal with that as much, but I try to implement that into all of our players and um, build things like accountability, grit, true mental toughness, resiliency, things like that. It's, it's quite interesting. Mm. Well, you say, you're saying you haven't had to deal with it too much. Would you, but this is probably one of the most challenging times right now for the mental mindset with sports. How have you, as a head coach for the national team, had to deal with this um, whole pandemic situation? Well, I would say we're lucky, and lucky is a weird word to be using right now, but I mean, lucky in the sense of, you know, our season was, like every national team in Europe, was pushed to 2021. Um, so to be honest, I, I haven't really had to try to figure out a way to play during this because I mean, you know, if you're watching the NFL or college football right now, I mean, games are getting canceled and they've had to drastically change the way that they coach and deal with things. And I haven't really had to go through that. You know, most, most coaching teams in Europe haven't had to go through that. So I feel fortunate, you know, again, and I use that loosely, but I'm, I've been fortunate, like where I, I don't really have to navigate, you know, those waters right now as a coach, it's just kind of been postponed the next year. Um, but I can imagine that, yeah, mental toughness would be much more needed than a normal year uh, this year. Mm. That's going back to something you just sort of mentioned about what you try, the sort of values you try to install in your, your players that you're coaching. I guess, in, in summary, like what, what would you say is your coaching philosophy? Man, that's a loaded question. I don't <laughs> know how much time we have. <laughs> um, Another 40 minutes, just rattle it off. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I think in general, and again, I think, you know, American football is such a great vehicle for, for learning things outside of sport. Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to be a better, you know, father one day because I played this great game. And I really believe that. I know it sounds kind of corny, but I, I, I believe that. Like, I, I've learned things through this sport that I don't know if I would have concretely learned outside of it. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. But I think coaching philosophy for me, like any coach, I think, you know, I really want to our guys to make progress because um, I think one issue here is sometimes we see, you know, there might be a, a young 16 year old quarterback here and he's new to the game and he, he has a strong arm. So he's like, I'm gonna be a quarterback. And then he turns on, you know, game pass and he sees Tom Brady and he's like, I want to be Tom Brady. And then he goes out and he throws the ball around. He's like, but I can't do like Tom Brady can. And he gets frustrated because he's like, I'm not any good. Or uh, we live in a culture where it's like, I want things now. And if I can't get it now, and I, have to, I have to work for it. Then ah, it's not any fun. Um, and so I think, you know, one thing that's exciting for me is I just, I want to be someone who is continuously learning, continuously improving. And I, I think if, if you think about the greatest feelings in the world, uh, I remember when I was a kid, we had a, a teacher asked us this question. She said, think about the great, it was in high school. She said, think about the greatest, like the greatest feeling you can have in the world. And then of course, you know, in high school, teenage boys, she said, outside of anything sexual was what she said. So of course we're all like, okay. Um, and I remember some of the answers were awesome because it was like, you know, maybe you have a killer workout and you go back home and that you laying down in your bed and that first five seconds of relaxation is the best feeling in the world. Or maybe you have a hard workout and you go get a sip of ice cold water and that first sip of ice cold water is the best. One of my friends, I remember he said, this is, you really got to think about this one, but that the first cut with scissors into construction paper, it's a great feeling. I don't know why, it just feels nice. <laughs> and, and I remember, I think I was thinking about this and I was like, I think one of the best feelings a human can have is just the feeling of making progress. 
Um, so let me break it down because I think that's kind of abstract, but it's like, if you're a quarterback, you know, one practice won't make you an NFL all pro, but one drill might make your spiral a little bit tighter. And that's a really good feeling. If you're learning a language, like my wife is Brazilian. So I've been learning Portuguese and mm-hmm. Americans probably like Brits. It's hard for us to learn another language besides English because it's yep. the best. <laughs> Everyone else um, does it for us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so it's like, if you're learning a language, like one hour of studying won't make you a master of the language, but one hour of studying might make you understand conjugations a little bit better. And that's a really good feeling. If you're investing in stocks, one morning on the stock market won't make you a millionaire, but one morning on the stock market might earn you a bit more confidence. And that's a really good feeling. So I think, you know, for us and, and our players, I think I, I don't want to just seek mastery. I don't want to seek perfection. I want to seek progress um, because it's, it's a long, it's a long-term thing. You know, we're never going to be where we want to be tomorrow or even the day after that probably. Um, but if we continuously prove, you know, 1% every day, we're going to seek or have that feeling of progress. And that's a really good feeling. And I think that's where we want to be. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's not really on that note, there's not so much like an end goal. There's not a point where you're like, Oh, I am what I wanted to become because you're always sort of looking for the next step. And that's, it's, it's interesting in football and kind of in, in life as well, that self-improvement, isn't it doesn't really have an ending you might be seeking something but really you're just trying to get a little bit better each day um on on that note your day job sort of involves a lot of public speaking and motivation how does that sort of translate into your actual coaching as well do you think that's helped yeah i would say um you know i try to tie that in a little bit i mean i uh if you ask my players um this would be interesting but i think it if you were to ask my players, you know, maybe what are some of my strengths as a coach? Uh, I would imagine a lot of them would say that on game day, um, I can, I'm kind of a sucker for like presentations and PowerPoints and stuff like that. (laughs) So I usually have like some big history lesson, you know, like when Hernando Cortez, you know, uh, left, you know, Cuba for the Yucatan Peninsula and how this, you know, founded he founded Mexico City and the start of the colonization of the Americas and somehow I tie that into football today (laughs) Um, but I really get into that kind of stuff so I I try to I try to take things um, from all walks of life and tie that into you know football because everything relates to football if you want it to be Um, it's not something that's kind of in a vacuum by itself I mean um, you can take any story uh, any athletic story, anything from history, you can take war is a really good example. And you can tie that to football and, and use that as, you know, life lessons to, to, to learn. Um, so yeah, I, I like to do that a lot and, and bring things from the outside into football. Um, and yeah, I, I would, I would think my players would probably say I'm a better motivator than I am a schematic coach, but we have some other good schematic coaches around me. So hopefully that kind of offsets it a little bit. So it's more real world experience, less Al Pacino, one, one inch features. Well, those are good too. I don't know if I'm at that level, but yeah, I think there's a time and a place for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, the pregame speech is overrated because you can get guys hyped up and maybe that first kickoff, they're just amped up and they're ready to go kill somebody. But then two plays later, it's kind of back to earth. <laughs> um, so it's, it's fun for a little bit, but it doesn't win you games. I was always a sucker for the halftime speech myself. Especially if you're like one score behind and someone's yeah. just no, I mean it matters. I, I think I think halftime is actually probably more important than the beginning of the game. In fact, Bill Belichick, he's he's 
famous for um, not always having the best game plan. And I hope he doesn't hear me say this. I don't think he'll be tuning into this. I, would, I wouldn't be, wouldn't bet <laughs> on it. Don't worry about it. But, but he's not known for always having the best game plan initially, but he's known as the best in the history of the NFL, as the best adjuster. You look at the Rams. I'm a Rams fan. I grew up in St. Louis. And so, you know, when, when they went to halftime in that game and they came out and they completely shut down the Rams, like that's what he's known for. And I remember Josh McDaniels, the OC, uh, he's been interviewed about this and he was like, yeah, he, he, like Josh McDaniels has said, the first half is all about like taking in data. What are they doing on third and long? You know, what do they do when they're in trips? Um, you know, what, what is their, their, uh, their tendency when we go in this formation, whatever it is. And they're just like taking in data. And then at halftime, they analyze it and they adjust and they kind of switch the game plan. And that's what separates him from, I mean, he's good in a lot of things, but I think he's the best at adjusting. And so I think, yeah, to your point, Joe, I mean, I think halftime speeches is maybe more powerful than pregame, but that's just my opinion. They're like a boxer filling out the first round. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I think that's probably what we do have time for, though, today. I mean, we could get massively further into this. I mean, it's a hugely interesting topic. You're an amazing guy. But bearing in mind that we've got a rest of a podcast to film and we don't have two hours right now, I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to cut you off. Is there anything that you wanted to plug your favorite book you're reading maybe at the moment? Oh, man, that's a good one. Um yeah, I mean, I would say maybe not what I'm reading right now, but I think I tell people all the time, I mean, there's probably the most transformative book I've ever read outside of like the Bible would be Atomic Habits by James Clear. I'm, I'm reading James. that. It's really good. This book changed my life for real. And I'll give you, I know you don't have time. I'll give you just a short snippet, for example. It's about good habits and how you can create good habits and get rid of bad ones. But, but I learned from, from James Clear in this book about like your environment matters. You know, so it's like, if you, if you want to eat more fruit, then like set it on the counter where you see it constantly and you'll be inclined to eat more fruit. Yeah. If, if you want to stop cursing, stop listening to that kind of music. Like the things that you surround yourself with, if you want to be really good about investments, follow a million people on Instagram about how to, you know, earn money doing whatever, like your environment really matters a lot. Um, and I think there's a mis misconsumption that people think that like, oh, you know, change is hard. It's like, no, the primary function of the brain is to change depending on your environment. So if you create a better environment, change is natural. That's going to happen. Um, I learned that from James Clear, but Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, also a quick shameless self-plug. I've done a book review about this book. You can go check that out. It has links where you can buy it and stuff too. But um, Atomic Habits by James Clear is a really, really good one. And I recommend it. Absolutely. We'll put all the links to your website, Instagram on this preview, probably attach it to the podcast as well. So you know where to find it. Make sure you do go follow Spencer on Instagram at S underscore Ferrari Wood. Any other social media that you use consistently or is it mainly Instagram? It's Instagram. It's funny. We're in the 21st century. I don't have Twitter. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm an Instagram guy. So yeah, you can find me there. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. We'll have to have you back. Yeah, thanks guys, it's fun. Great stuff there, lads. And another massive thank you to Spencer, an awesome guy to chat to and well worth a follow on socials as well if you are interested in coaching and player development. He has a ton of stuff on there. Um, 
and it's well worth checking out. Or even if even looking for some non-football content, a whole load of positivity and just improving yourself stuff as well. It's just he's an all-round great guy. Nice. Well, to get back to the show, I believe Slu, you have some more game pick results for us. Uh, you want to take it away? We do. Are you sure you want to hear this? No. Because from being in second place, you are somewhat floundering. Yeah, you, I've you've got had in my a, own head. You've had a, you had a six and ten week. No one else oh. failed to hit double figures. So, Ooh, wow! Not only are you below five hundred, you are also shit. <laughs> <laughs> Very stink. So that puts you in last place, one hundred twenty-five, eighty-one, and one for the year. Still not a horrific record. That's still a playoff record. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm at 129, <laughs> 77 and one. Joe, 131, 75 and one, which is cutting into Stan's lead. By one He's now only Come five on. points clear. 136, five. 70 and one. If you keep falling at this rate, Stan, you're going to be, I wouldn't say below Matt by the end of the year, but realistically not great. <laughs> if I keep losing one point, there's not enough weeks. If I lose one point each week. Before you lost two this five. week. Did I? Yeah. I'm nipping at oh, your well. heels, Big Sonny Joe's Jim. coming for you. Hey, and what was that bet I made? I believe you'll all owe me a sandwich soon, fellas. No, but I mean, talking of stupid bets that Joe's made, Joe, you requested it. The floor is yours for the next five minutes. What was this bet? So I've made a bet, fellas. I've made a bet on my favourite betting company, which will remain unnamed. <laughs> the odds were 11 to 1. I put £10 down on it. Any ideas what the bet was? It was a Super Bowl outright bet. And it wasn't for the Ravens. Was it for the Chiefs? The Rams. No, it was for the Rams. You're taking the piss. I like that. No. Bet. I think that's and a I'll good tell bet. you why. I'll tell you why. What I saw out of the Rams. Because he's seen Brett Coleman tweeting. Oh, Joe. <laughs> the Rams legitimately <laughs> look like they might be able to to go quite far in the playoffs this year. It's I mean, Jared Goff, though. You can't. Yeah, but I don't the Chiefs about. don't get a whole My lot whole... of pressure. Okay, so so listen up. The whole Jeriff Goff point, which everyone kind of brings up, the Rams at the moment have the by like I would argue the best defense in the league. Aaron Donald has been playing <laughs> insane. Jalen Ramsey is out of his mind, obviously. Uh, after a lot of contention over trading for Jalen Ramsey, they it seems to be a very very uh, very good trade for them. I think the Rams aren't a team that require Jared Goff to be an amazing quarterback to win games. And you've seen teams win Super Bowls without amazing quarterback. Holler at Trent Dilfer, my man, who we referenced, um, who wasn't that good a quarterback, won a Super Bowl nonetheless. Uh, do you know why they won a Super Bowl? Same reason the Rams might win a Super Bowl in that their running game is out of this world. And McVeigh has stolen a lot of things from the Ravens. I'm going to say it last year. Uh, a lot of these sort of every um, there's always a receiver in motion or a tight end in motion whenever there's there's a run going on. It's either handing off to a, a receiver running a jet sweep or uh, beating him down the inside run while the receiver still in motion to sort of confuse the defense and gain that half second you need to break the line. I think we've like it's a, it's a running back by committee, but it's a very good running game they have. Um, they're one of the it's league all Cam Akers down, mate. And Cam Akers looks all right after all. He does. He, he, he's had two decent weeks now. Um, coming off obviously being injured near the start of the season, Stan's boy. But like I said, Goff, if they can win 34 to three. 
against a Patriots team that looked quite good against the Chargers. And, okay, fine. Patriots are the Patriots. But what I'm saying is they, they can beat a decent team. Um, and Goff didn't have a good game. He had less than 200 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, and they completely smashed the Patriots. As soon as they fall behind in games, though, by like multiple scores, they are stuffed because as soon as you rely on Jared Goff to be a quarterback, you're not going to win the game. The only way he's going to be a successful quarterback is if he's got a play-action game to work off, a running game to support him, because Which at the end does. of the day... Yes, he does. He does one of the best but in the league. Wait, my my point is, when he falls behind in games, then yeah. that's no longer an option. Yeah. Okay, but it's less likely to fall behind in games in general because their defense is playing out of this world at the moment. I'm not saying they won't, but I'm saying I don't hate the if bet. They do fall behind in games. I no, I no, don't like. I the think bet eleven at all. to one, pretty decent odds. I mean, I put a bet on the Ravens at the start of the season. They were eight to one. Out of curiosity, like, how many teams terrible. would you put ahead of them right now? Oh, like for uh, sure, ahead of them. Uh, the Chiefs, Chiefs for Chiefs, sure. Packers. Steelers. I wouldn't Packers put the Steelers. Can't stop the I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put the Steelers ahead of the Rams and I also I wouldn't I think put the Packers. The Packers I, I think the head to head the Rams are better than the Packers. I don't know if they're a better I'd like team to, I'd like to see them play the Colts. I'd like to see them play a healthy Colts team. No, they don't have to. They have to get there. Colts aren't getting to the Super Bowl, so I yeah. want to see them play a healthy Colts team. Colts but... might win one playoff game, but I, I genuinely think the Rams look amazing this year and they're kind of heating up near the end of the season which is like we like to see they're in the lead in a very competitive nfc west division and i thought that was a bet that's worth making do you guys i mean it's good to see that slew kind of agrees stan's got his bitter mm. taste in his mouth what do you think matt mm, i don't i i have a, a few problems with it in that i think the rams defense is very very good and for sure top five in the league I don't think they're so good that they can consistently and in tight spots bail out Jared Goff. And I think we've seen that model of, you know, run first and, you know, rely on the defense. We've seen it break down, especially in the playoffs, when teams go get off to a slow start. And I, I don't see the Rams being a team much like we said the same sort of thing we said we said with the Titans last year. I quite like that um, comparison actually, but I don't think that the Rams have got the capability to come back when if if they don't get off to a good start. And there are teams that I just think would would be able to give them enough right. problems. Can we talk about the here, Dolphins game to start of the season? Wait, yeah, before we game? do though, here's exactly. my here's my counterpoint to that though, is that. Are you saying that Jared Goff was a different quarterback when they made the Super Bowl a couple of years ago? Is there any was... defensive coordinator out there right now that's as that's going to make the playoffs and not including Belichick that's as good as shutting down a main part of the offense as the Patriots are? Mate. Are the you. are the Rams defense a lot better than they were when they made that Super Bowl? Damn right. Yes, their, offense, their offense isn't as good. I don't, I think, don't think it's much worse. It's not that much worse, and their their running game is yeah for sure spread out a lot more, but it's it's still very their offensive line as well. Their offensive line is poor. When they they made that run, when they made that Super Bowl run, their offensive line was playing lights out, and that's why they were able to dominate in the run game, especially with with Todd Gurley. They just ran for two hundred yards against the Patriots. I know, I know that it's not a bad Patriots defense that can't tackle. Mm. Uh, still Bill Belichick hey, it's still a, a defense by Bill Belichick that is an issue you're right mm. 
I don't, I'm just saying I don't think it's an outlandish bet for those odds. I don't I don't hate the bet. I'm not saying it's I think the Rams the are going to win the Super Bowl. I just think I think oh. it's possible. I don't think it's likely. I, I mean, they're, they're not, not my favourites, but I I saw the odds and I thought, you know what, I'll take that. It's an interesting bet, and I think that that speaks volumes of what you know McVeigh's been able to do. Obviously, last year was very disappointing for the Rams, um, and I think you know post that Super Bowl run. We had high hopes for them, and, and that sort of seemed like they took a, a, a big backward step. So I think absolutely credit to McVeigh that they're in a position where you know, like as I said, it's not it's not a ridiculous bet, Joe. I think there are circumstances where you could see them getting there. I just don't think I don't trust them enough yet. I think simple as. Um, anyway, let's let's move on to the drop back game of the week for this week. As so chosen, it's not the Rams in the Super Bowl. It's not the Rams, the fucking Super Bowl. As as chosen by you, the listeners, as always, and you have gone with the Kansas City Chiefs at the New Orleans Saints, which certainly looks like a very interesting matchup. Very keen to get your thoughts on this one, guys. Chiefs win. Chiefs. There's no way the Chiefs don't win. Right, well, thanks for a great episode. I, mean... I think, yeah, I think if New Orleans can't be trusted to, to keep up with the Eagles' offense. I don't see how they're going to realistically keep up with the Chiefs' offense. Uh, I just think, you know, uh, their defense seemed to have struggled last week, and obviously they've been one of the best defensive uh, teams in the league all season, so I don't want to just base it off one game. But it's hard to see coming off the back of that how they're going to realistically put up enough of a fight to, to actually contain the Chiefs' offense. It happens Especially all the time, though, when a team loses a weird game and then they come back absolutely fine. No, but it's it's not so much that it's the defense coming back. I'm I'm sure that the Saints' defense will, will be back and better, but I just don't think on the other side of it, Taysom Hill being able to to outscore Pat Mahomes. I don't think he's at that point in his career as a passer yet. Um, I mean, I don't think he'll ever be at that point in his career, if I'm honest. I think anyone ever will be at that point in his career. It's Pat Mahomes. He's not yeah. going to be able to keep go stride for stride with Pat Mahomes and he can't go stride for stride with Jalen Hurts. Mm. Obviously, I, I'm not a fan of the narrative of quarterbacks being mm. in matchups against each other because they don't play on the same, same side of the ball in each other. That is true. However, if the game turns into a shootout, then you can sort of look at it that way. In the fact yeah, well, this Saints team is not built to play in shootouts. It's no, built, it's keep it cl- close and um, use Murray and Kamara and Hill now on the ground as well to sort of gra- grind out the clock. Um, it's re- been really up and down with Hill. I mean, he's played really well against the Falcons and pretty iffy against everyone else. So, yeah, I think it, it, it's up to whether the Chiefs can contain him on the ground that's going to make the difference in this one. If they stop, if they keep him below 100 yards basically on the ground, then this should be pretty comfortable for them. I, I think it just goes to the, the whole rushing attack in general. Obviously, one of the best play callers and uh, scheme coaches in the league in, in Sean Payton. He's going to know how he wants this game to go. He's going to want to, like you said, Slew, um, kind of grind it out, slow the game down, run the ball a lot with Hill, run the ball a lot with Kamara and Murray, who has Murray, by the way, has looked amazing this season as well as in that RB2 role for them. Um, great switch up. So if they if they keep it like that and with the occasional dump off slant to Michael Thomas, I could see them making it a game. I just still 
don't see how they keep up with the Chiefs, to be honest. Yeah, just don't bet against the Chiefs. That's my advice for anyone. <laughs> I, so, so, I mean, wait, that, please tell me that was a dig at Joe. Oh, I thought that was a callback for Joe, but not. <laughs> I mean, it can be if you want it to you be. You can't have meant it. Always want it to be. Um, <laughs> I do think there is, there, you know, there are certain, there are some, some bits of this game which I think mean that it's not going to be that as cut and dry as, as potentially we think. Um, I think for one, as we mentioned, the New Orleans rush attack is really good. And as, as Slew mentioned as well, the fact that they can grind out the clock and control the clock with Hill, with Kamara, with Murray, you know, we've seen that be a recipe for success against teams that can score fast, keeping them off the field. Um, as well as that, you know, the 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 secondary for, for New Orleans has been particularly good against the pass. I mean, last week aside, obviously with, you know, even though Jane Hurts, you know, he didn't actually throw for that many, but there, we, as we mentioned, there were some times where we thought they could have been more aggressive in the coverage. I think that we probably won't see that particularly with Tyreek Hill and etc. Um, but that might, you know, play into their hands a bit more. I think it will be interesting to see how much time of possession the Chiefs end up with in this game. Um, and I think that that's going to be the key at the end of the day. Um, they're just going to have to be clinical against the Saints defence and get themselves ahead early and that'll just completely disrupture the Saints offensive game plan as well they yeah. have struggled to do that though the Chiefs like it's been a trend all year that they've left it late and they haven't it's, really it's been quite... punished against a good running team yet where they've fallen behind all these mm. games like the Houston game Miami last week um, who else was it they fell behind to a couple of weeks ago Raiders yeah but no Raiders, it was shot for shot, wasn't it? Okay, either way. But a lot of the time when when they're down in the hole, it's been like these Sean Jackson two teams where they're not the most efficient runners. So it'll be interesting to see if they fall behind and the clock starts going, what happens then? Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, circling back to the Miami game, there was a period there where you, saw, you felt like the Chiefs, there was an opportunity there for the Dolphins to put it I mean, I don't want to say out of reach because it, it, the game is never out of reach when you've got Pat Mahomes, but make it very difficult for the Chiefs to come back. And there were some missed opportunities on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, they Maybe. never really put the Chiefs to the to the sword there. They never really forced them in mm. to make them uncomfortable. Yeah, they're a few scores down, but they're never really out of that game. Yeah, and I think the big difference is, you know, obviously Miami had all three of their starting running backs out, right? I think a team that is purpose-built to you know, control the clock and and plow through with the run game in that same situation, potentially there's a different outcome. And if there is a team that could do that, I think the Saints is, is definitely one of those teams. You say that, but as a, as a, obviously as a Ravens fan, we played the Chiefs twice now in two years and had the same uh, result in playing that, type, that style of play. And we saw what they did to the Titans as well in the playoffs. It's, it's not necessarily that, cut and dry i mean if you play have that style of play that is one way to combat it but then again if, if they get up early then you're stuck in that sort of mindset and we, we always talk about this it's you know if, if you are a, a run first run heavy team then you're, you're going to struggle in those games as well no it, it doesn't automatically give the saints the win but they're not coming from behind to beat the chiefs if they mm. fall in a hole early this game's over that's what yeah. I was, that's what i was talking about when i meant the chiefs getting up early but yeah 
it's quite funny the fact that you've got a team with Patrick Mahomes, you've probably got one of the best wide receiver cores in the league, and of course Claude Edwards there in the backfield, that they can't get ahead early in these games. And we saw we saw it last year at like in the playoffs against the Texans where they fell down into a hole quite quickly. Obviously they climbed their way back out of it. But why can't they get ahead early in the first quarter considering just the, the just look at the names on that offense line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think maybe part of it as well is I think Andy Reid's ability as a play caller, he's so good at making adjustments, right? Yeah, but I think almost there is a there is a part of it in terms of he sees what the defense is giving him and adjusts to it, and then it's go time. It's points, mm. points, 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 points. But it's, but it's almost like he has to because he's notoriously amazing out of bye week because he's had time to plan for opposition. Why? So True. if he's able to plan for opposition before games, I don't understand. Like Stan said, it doesn't make sense why they're starting so slow all the time. Maybe it used to be more balls in the first quarter. Yeah, like what, they're, they're almost like let's start off balanced. We'll see what they give us, and then we'll. Yeah, and he needs to take a page out of um, Doug Peterson's book. Oh, fuck off! Ruin his franchise QB. Okay, well let, let's let's put some scores on this one then. What what are we thinking score prediction wise, guys? Who's going to be brave? Twenty-eight to seventeen. To the Chiefs? To the hell to the Chiefs. Hell to the Chiefs. I'm okay. going 35-17 Chiefs. Okay. Slew, it's on you, mate. 31-24. Okay. Maybe less. Maybe maybe like 28-21. Well, you've locked it in. That's not how it works. I didn't. What are you saying, fella? Lock it in. Lock it in, Chomper. I'm saying 27-19 to the Chiefs. 19. I mean, having locked it in last week, do you, the, how come you ended up going with the Pittsburgh Steelers in our game of the week last week? And anyway, that will probably do it for this week's episode of the Dropback Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Dropback Podcast. If you like our content, then please feel free to follow us on socials. It, on Instagram, it's at the Dropback. Twitter, also at the Dropback. And on Facebook, at the Dropback UK. Also check out our website where we have got articles and game picks dropping weekly. We've just had another fantastic article from Stan as well as a great piece from new Dan as well. So definitely make sure to check that out. Another massive thank you, of course, to Spencer Frywood for joining us on this week's show. Um, and all that's left for me to say is I've been Matt. I've been Sam. I've been Joe. And I've been Stan. And we'll catch you next week. The Drop Back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. Get you right now, fill up a cafeteria and guzzle it down. <laughs>